0: The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Pittsburgh Breakdown, Recapping UFC 215, and almost everything in between. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way, tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say, Mother, Mother! Can you keep them in the dark for a while? Can you have them This is the Protect Your Neck podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, mixed martial arts analyst and writer. All the blah 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 blah. Let's forget all about that because it is good to be back to the home for MMA hardcores and degenerate gamblers, right here on this your show. You know, you know, the Protect Your Neck podcast is like the it's like your uncle's house you go to it to have fun, but you know, without the creepy stuff, or maybe maybe a little bit of creepy stuff, but hopefully the MMA makes up for it, right? Right? I just, uh, you know, Dan Tom, he goes off the handle sometimes. He gives you a popsicle. We forget it ever happened. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Dan. Real fucking creepy to- Tony shit. get the fucking show off to. Anyways, we're back. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, Everything is going well. It's just, it's it been nuts. When's the last time I saw you all or talked to you all, I should say? Two weeks ago? That's right. It was the uh, recap show for UFC Mexico City. Um and a lot to happen between then all good things all good things but man uh if your boy drops dead during the podcast it's from sleep deprivation and uh just my brain gonna explode because uh, it's been crazy but but again it's been a good crazy so no complaints a lot of cool stuff won't be able to share everything with you um <laughs> for many reasons but don't fret uh uh, there, there's a lot of cool stuff, um, there's a lot, lot, lot of cool stuff coming your way. If you are in a rush, though, because this is being you know, recorded Thursday night, you most of you average probably won't be hearing it by the time y'all wake up, depending on the time zones, roughly 36 hours till showtime, and I realize that most of y'all could give two craps about me, as you should give two craps about me, as this show, if you're here, it's, you're here for the service, because, again, even though Dan Tom fucks around a lot more than he should, um, show is a service, a service for the analysis breakdown, stuff that is not in my written breakdowns, which, of course, as you all know, you can find it at MMAJunkie.com. It's out now already as we speak, as I'm recording this, my UFC Pittsburgh breakdown, if you want to see the pics. But obviously i can't get into everything even on a you know uh, the previous format which is still pretty much the same format but as far as like betting goes i still could never really get into the undercard so that's what kind of this podcast is for um you know no the little nitty gritty stuff that i might not be able to fit in and the betting angles of course which um is kind of its own separate thing as y'all know you know and picks different from bets you know, analysis different from than, you know, analysis or whatever you want to call it, you know, who you're rooting for, all these things, all these weird levels, but we, we unpack them here, whatever I, you know, uh, don't get to. But, of course, the flagship, the main stuff, the good stuff, because even here where, you know, Dan Tom likes to unpack things, I always miss stuff, so I always refer you to my written breakdowns. And, again, MMAJunkie.com is where you're going to find those from now on. And, of course, if, you know, I don't know why you're listening to me now, but if you want to hear more, uh, I'm five days a week, baby, MMA Junkie Radio with the homies, Gigi and Goes, uh, who I've been hanging out with a lot, which we'll get to in this recap, because, uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, we went to a flight for the, uh, well, we flew over to, uh, you know, do a little visit for the troops, uh, local, domestics, not, not like we went over to, like, Afghanistan or anything, which George and Goz, uh, host hosts of MMA Junkie Radio, have before, uh, they... I believe they went over there with, like, uh, I think like Jake Ellenberger and, like, Stitch and and, and some people, and a had, had a blast. And I remember that trip, and I just thought it was so awesome, I and mean, we hear all these stories, and since then, they've, you know, developed good relationships with the military and, you know, bring the UFC in on it, and, you know, they'll pack up with a couple of fighters, go visit a base, uh, you know, they've been to a joint uh, base Langley-Eustis down there in Virginia, where I was, uh, where I was at, uh <clears throat> Part of the reason I wasn't able to get to y'all, but uh, it was really a, a life-changing experience. And, uh, you know, I know it was for these guys, you know, following the show, being friends with them here in Vegas, you know, seeing, you know, um, you know, um, you know, uh, or at least what they were allowed to show, I should say, um, you know, footage and stuff from these trips and stuff. And it's just, it's just, it's all something I wanted to do as I was talking about the last podcast where, you know, Dan Tom. You know, grew up wanting to be in the military, and this and that. And uh, you know, I've had a lot of families that have served, um, and, you know, and friends as well, uh, and in 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 wars even, and uh, uh, and sacrificed uh, themselves or, or, or a lot. So I had very very respect for everything they do. So it was really it was really cool that uh, I, beyond cool. Obviously, I just try to push through I, uh, as far as words go. But uh, but yeah, it was really it was really something. Um, really grateful should say and there's not really words i i guess i was trying to say that I can really say how grateful i am but yeah it was r- really grateful of uh you know not just the troops but also you know georgian goes for giving me the opportunity not just to you know work with them and you know go with them uh you know of course you know uh, it was on a you know uh, journalistic uh, duties you know uh more for the editorial side taking notes uh, making sure you know uh, the trip was well documented uh, hopefully, you were following social media at uh, MMA Junkie Radio. Follow on uh, Instagram as well. Put a lot of cool stuff. And we'll be putting, we'll be putting more stuff. We, we couldn't put it all as we went along. And some stuff is getting cleared and back to us now. So, we'll be able to post it. But really, really cool stuff we, we, we'd like to share from the trip. So, so if you're following that, it was a blast. Um, and that trip you know, consisted of uh, Misha Tate, uh, Stitch Duran, and, you know, radio hosts. We all flew out from Vegas. And then we met uh, Colby Covington and Paul Felder out there and you know uh uh, fan of Colby Covington style wasn't sure how how, you know how he was gonna be as a person and 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 everything dude was cool cool as as crap awesome guy same with Paul I I, kind of figured between the Taekwondo black belts and the college acting and shit me and Paul would kick it off and it was great Uh, obviously you know I'm not gonna you know uh, share a lot Uh, for for one I am not want to be our name drop more than I already fucking do but honestly uh the bonds and stuff that are forming these trips and stuff and the stories that happen, you you, you keep with you, and, uh, and, uh, but I what, I, what I can't honestly say, though, is that everybody was genuinely cool as fuck, and that's all you, that's, that's all you need to know, um, and of course, just even that alone being said, it's kind of tough, because you know, technically now I'm a member of the media, obviously, you know, all that good stuff, and even that trip, um, that was kind of my my my, my role uh, as far as that goes. But you know, you're human beings at the end of the day, man. You know, you go on these trips, you you have these life changing experiences, uh, going these crazy tours, and uh, and then at the end of the night, you you may or may not drink the bar out of Crown Royal and other and Jack and other things, and and uh, have a good time. But you at the end of the day, it was. You, you're human beings, and uh, you can't help but appreciate what you see, and and the people you see it with. So that being said, uh, <laughs> to, you know, thankfully Misha's retired, but Paul and Colby aren't. Um, I've actually picked against Paul before, which has sucked because I I I do am a fan of the guy, but as y'all know, I I'm good about putting that stuff aside for my picks. I can pick against people. It's easy. I could actually, you know, honestly say that I haven't picked against Colby because I, technically I haven't. But, you know, um, those times will come and I'll do my, of course, I'll, you know, continue to do my best to, you know, be a good analyst. But that being said, obviously, you guys hearing this know okay, sprinkle some salt on whatever Dan says uh, going forward on them. He obviously has a little soft spot because, again, um, I'm a big proponent, whether it's in the physical world of, you know, martial arts or in, you know, the relevant what we're talking about on paper world of media, jobs, etc., I believe in admitting your vulnerability is, is, is kind of, you know, it's half the battle as GI Joe would say, but honestly, it's, it's a sign of strength. Um, and I respect people that can admit vulnerabilities, uh, because I do think it's a sign of strength, but more importantly, it's also a sign of, okay, they're probably going to take the steps or, you know, they at least admit it and this and that. So, um, again, I always try to admit my biases, but, um, I also, you know, try to pride myself in being good about it. So, uh, We'll just kind of leave it at that. But they were they were awesome, awesome people. We went on these awesome trips, and we met even more awesome people. You know, through all the departments, just really getting educated, um, getting to shoot stuff, which was you know, which was my big thing. I was just like, hey, listen, I'm there from a journalist capacity. I'll, I'll you know, I'll work the phones, the media accounts, write the blogs, do all that stuff. But uh, when it comes time to shoot stuff, old Dan Tom's getting his hand on a gun and old danton did uh and it was cool because i made it a point to shoot like one of my favorite guns like the m4 like I, I love doing these hypotheticals where it's like uh if you had three i always like do three or like five guns in like a zombie apocalypse what would it be and especially if it's the five yeah you can make room for a handgun a little harder to justify room for the handgun on on the third though i will but uh i also feel like the m4 is like a good medium because you've got that mid-range, you can carry it. Uh, you can assault. You know, siege. You can. You know, hit decent long-range, depending on you know uh, scope or amplification. This was kind of cool. It was just like the stock stock sites and we did this like a you know simulation. It's like this high-tech video game essentially, where you're firing, you're loading a real weapon with real rounds, but and the shells go, but there's nothing shooting out. Uh, in the laser that would be adjusted as a laser sight for a scope the difference is you don't see the laser but it registers because that's how that's how the whole simulation works um save space and um and a bunch of other benefits to it too and they had like you know 50 cows and all these like different shotguns and stuff you could do but of course dan tom wanted to do the m4 and uh it's crazy even with my eyes being worse now since after you know the last concussion but uh it's funny i you know, took the glasses off sat down and they are fucking with us. Like, they got me to put on, like, fucking the 60 pounds of body armor and, like, crank out a bunch of push-ups before I can shoot it. But, like, t- to be honest, I would have cracked out, like, 100 more just to shoot the M4. And, uh, and so, like, they are trying to, you know, fucking with us and, you know, kind of that military cadence. And I, I appreciate it. I grew up with it. So, it's, it's no it's, it's no thing to me. But uh, you could always tell when you were doing good in any of the tests or simulations because there would be, like, a surprise cadence in their voice. Like, oh, th- that that was, that was good. You... You actually grouped those, and actually, I grouped really well. And then they uh, had this simulation where they had like pop-up targets, and it was really realistic because like it, it, the 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 furthest ones, like they're almost like blitz, just kind of popping up, shooting at you. And you gotta you gotta hit them. And um, yeah, I'll say your boy did well. Uh, what I did terrible at, you know, uh, was uh, even though I work construction and actually was qualified to drive like diamond forklift, uh, we did the military simulators. Um, I fucking failed. Me, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I want to say maybe it's because I'm half Asian. Of course, Dan failed at the driving and, and the flying. I, I crashed the fucking plane simulator too, by the way. Oh Jesus! I didn't even have the hypoxia going with the oxygen. It was just, it was just a straight up simulator. Uh, so yeah, so so. Yeah, Dan Tomino was <laughs> failed the transportation things. Although maybe it wasn't my half Asianness, which I was about to say, because uh, not only did I become the first person to crash into a tree uh, in the second group because they split us in two, Colby became in, and me and Colby became the only two people to ever crash their uh, tractor simulators into a tree, and we froze up their machines. It was great. <laughs> Although I can blame fucking um, I can blame fucking Felder for mine because he apparently uh, got a. They can control, and it's it's crazy, because they can do, like, weather, and they make it, like, snowy, and, like, when it's snowy, the roads will feel icy, so you'll actually, your turns and stuff will be off, and, you know, the wind can pick up, so when you're doing your, 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 your lift on a load, on the forklift, like, you can actually feel, like, the wind, and, uh... I guess Paul just put it like the fucking max hurricane, max fucking snow, and I, I got fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, the, the point was I think I, I did scored terrible on all the transportation shit, but I scored good on the parachute simulator. I scored an excellent, and then I did good at shooting. So another, and you factor that in with my terrible test taking. Yeah, yeah, your boy probably would have been in fucking infantry and and, and and not doing this podcast right now. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, but it was a good experience, like, I'm glad, like, it's a day and age where I can simulate that stuff, and I had that opportunity, and, um, you know, the brave motherfuckers that do it, my goodness, yeah, sorry, I don't want to spend this whole time as a military recap, so I'll push through, but there there was some really cool shit that we got to see, um, you know, got to see the Raptor, of course, things like a fucking spaceship, um, meet an actual legit pilot of it, and just, um, yeah, uh, and then I capped off the trip, uh, Hanging out with this, uh, at first, really scary Special Forces guy. We'll just call him by his his name, I guess, uh, Silverback. Uh, They're never really ex-Special Forces, but uh, had that look on him that kind of just scared all of us, UFC fighters included. But by the end of the trip, me and him were fucking pounding whiskey and talking shit and sharing stories. So uh, shout out to Silverback, friend for life there, that savage. But uh, but yeah, it was a great trip. you know, it was, it, was, it was a great opportunity. Hope you all enjoyed the fun social media stuff. Again, you know, there there may or may not be um, <laughs> some uh, real goodies on some of the social media stuff. So make sure you, you, you follow that. Uh, follow that there. But, yeah, um, I was actually going to record. Uh, I almost didn't miss the trip. because I was And, and I was going to record. Kind of ties into um, why well, I didn't record a breakdown podcast. I was going to record a breakdown podcast. And in case I couldn't, you know. Um, record one on the base but um my god I got a 24-hour bug like the worst time possible I got it from my girlfriend I don't know if it was something we ate or what but I think it was just kind of like a virus so I never get sick I'm like that dude that would be like attendance you know points at work like I don't get sick in years like like Bruce Willis from Unbreakable like when's the last time you were sick I don't know Except I don't have you know some weird uh, Mr. Glass following me. Neither here nor there. I don't get sick, and uh, so I was almost just upset, not the fact that uh, something you know jacked my system because it takes like food poisoning or some kind of virus kind of type thing to take Dan Tom down. So I'm like Wolverine, I'm like Wolverine. I don't know why. Aside from my crooked toes and shit, I've never really broke bones and stuff despite taking some really nasty spills. And even as a kid, it would just, if something got me sick, it was like it, it was like hell. I couldn't move for 24 hours, but the next day I'm jumping around like nothing and that that's how it was. The problem is the 24-hour period that this thing got me was when I was going to be finishing my UFC breakdown, at least the ed, editing and final touches, last phase part, recording the podcast, and of course, packing and fucking flying. And uh so it couldn't happen at a worse time. Like it was weird, it was the weirdest thing like um I literally felt like a chill down my spine. But then, like, you know, when you catch a chill and you're like, ooh, that was a chill. But this was like, uh, as soon as the chill passed through, like, literally three seconds later, I felt super weak. And I was just happened to be standing by my next to my bed, kind of in transit uh, from bathroom to chair. And I just immediately kind of laid in my bed and couldn't move from my bed from that point. It was like 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. And, like, it was just so weak. And I'll just spare you the details, but it was a. Uh, is bad. I felt like the, the Team America dolls in a certain scene of that movie. America, but yeah, I'll just I'll leave it at that. And um, but once that was done, I felt much better, even though I was, just, it was really weak, could barely lift my bags at a certain point. Trucked it out, uh, went in. That's why if you're listening to uh, the radio show, uh, <laughs> or even saw the pre-show. Ghost had one of those, one of those like you know doctors masks that the Japanese people use, the Chinese people use with the sar uh, the sar epidemic. Remember the stars? Wow, am I dating myself by referencing that? It was like fucking seventeen years ago. All right, but um, but yeah, so I made it, made it to the trip, and I'm glad I did. It was worth a hellacious twenty four hours, but it was well worth it. I'm glad I didn't miss it. Um, even got to freaking do a sit down interview with uh, uh General Malcolm Frost. Shout out to General Frost, who's an MMA fan, by the way. But um, I'll spare you the, the schlub. But I was I was nervous as shit because uh put, it this, put it this way they don't uh, they don't they don't sit down with just anybody you type in general media or Google right now you're just gonna see a bunch of negative press and uh, let's just say you you know to being educated on this stuff I kind of realized why it was a big it was a big deal and uh, why the, my Dan Tom's life was probably scrubbed by the government and now I have no secrets uh, yeah. No clearing Bowser history with those guys. But anyways, it was well worth it because Dan Tom's got a clear record and good intentions because he genuinely, as you've heard in this podcast or if you know me in person, I genuinely do love and support the military and was genuinely there to do a good job and provide, um, of course, honest, unbiased, but um, what the hell was not to like? What the hell was not to be positive about? It was an amazing trip. Thank you, Joy Mace Langley Eustis and Malcolm Frost for the sit down. It was weird because this guy's like, this guy's good. He's not just a general where like you know, I mean, uh, can neither confirm or deny. But let's just say when big outlets request these things, that it's, it's a, it's a hard pass. Well, in a put in a nice way. Um by the way, shout out to the PR and stuff at the military. Nothing but great uh, for public relations working with them uh, for this. And I'm doing an article, by the way, which you stay tuned to MMAJunkie.com, MMA Junkie Radio. Um, I'm piecing it together all week. Um, I'm finishing it up now. And uh, I'm not sure when it'll be out, but I'll, I'll be turning it in soon. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be awesome. But, but yeah, man, it was just crazy because not only was this a general, but this is like, this is a dude that could run for president and not getting into it, but. You know, Army has its own politics as well, Joint Base Langley Eustis is where, you know, people who are moving up worth a damn, not worth it. damn, they're all worth a damn, but like, you know, going to, to, to that uh, level, uh, go through that. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very important base. They're all important. Not, not saying that, but you get what I'm trying to say here. Uh, and this guy was like one of those dudes, right? I'm pretty good at you know seeing through political BS and even good political BS. I'm like, that's good, but that guy's fact this guy, man, you know, seeing him address the troops and then sitting down with him in person, because uh, you know he was he was again he was such a genuine guy and a fan of the MMA. He invited us to. Um, uh, a bur- a little private breakfast with him, which was which was an honor, and that's where we did the sit down interview. But it was kind of crazy, like this guy's like the president, you know. He's got like his little staff, like not just staff, like people holding the clipboard, like high ranking colonels and stuff, like waiting at this guy, and um, you know, just sitting at a table not eating, just watching us, you know, his own service, and then yeah, you know, um, I'll, I'll spare the details. Um, um, but yeah, it was it was a it was very much I was. I, 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 I understood how privileged I was. Believe me, let's let's uh, let's just say that, and uh, it was uh, it was, a, it was a big learning experience for Dan and Tom. So, um, shout out to the troops and look out for that write up coming at MayJunkie uh, This again, I'm not trying to spend too much time on the troops, but it fits into the UFC two fifteen recap because we we end the trip. Um, watching UFC 215 with the troops. We we're kind of in transit during the prelim, so I don't have much to say. I know it was Dog City. I, I, I missed the Bolar fight. I, like, was in my room getting ready during the Martins fight. And, like, I think I shut it off right before he got uh, knocked out. I was like, oh, this was looking like a Caleb Starves fight. And I just, like, shut it off. I had to get downstairs and get fucking going. And uh, so I missed most of it. You know, saw that Caitlin Vieira upset. That was, uh, was crazy. Um and, uh, but, but yeah, uh, then you had, you know, Stevens and Gilbert Melendez. Uh, the analysis was right on that one, but it's kind of hard to watch as a Gilbert Melendez fan, you know, just cause I pick certain things. I mean, I'm happy about it and I did the classic jinx where, uh, it's funny. The only, I didn't really even have time to really make too many betting plays, It was, wasn't. Probably wouldn't have been that great of a podcast, and my, you know, the picks weren't weren't that great. At least in the prelims, would probably would have spoiled whatever parlay pieces I would have recommended to y'all. Anyways, uh, as that's what I seem to see, even though I didn't really do a good catch up on Twitter or stay up on it again. Was 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 um was really trying to just watch with the troops and making sure I'm like going to a different group each time and kind of giving my time. And uh, it was was awesome. I was enjoying it to be honest. So I I would have rather done that anyways. no, no offense. I talk to you guys all the time. Come on. Uh, although y'all reaching out on Twitter, miss, uh, missing my retarded ass. Um, sorry for using the R word, but you know me. I, I use. I apologize, and I'll just continue to use it. But anyway, I, I appreciate the gestures. But but no, it was awesome. It was, it was awesome uh, watching with the troops. But uh, yeah, the oh yeah, the Gil Melendez uh, Stevens is a classic. Uh, that classic thing where you you call something, and i like, I shouldn't have said it out loud. I just jinxed myself because my only play was uh, Stevens round three. If you recall the fight. That was looking like it was going to cash, whether it was through Stevens, the doctor. Um, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but it didn't. But because, uh, <laughs> you know, I deservedly didn't because, you know, hey, I jinxed myself. And again, I just kind of was at that point I was hoping Jill was OK, because that was gross to look at for the leg. Um, what the hell else we have? Uh, Latifi Pedro. Yeah, that one was uh, kind of felt weird. Saying Latifi decision when you kind of look at things on paper or you follow the hype narrative. And I like Pedro, like I said, in the background breakdown. But, uh, just, yeah, it was kind of just how I saw the fight playing out. Not really anything else to say about that. Um, RDA Magni I don't know what interview I was listening to, but somebody said stick figure. referred to, like, Magni So, you beat a stick figure. <laughs> I was just laughing my ass off. But, uh, yeah, that one... Kind of went how I went, how I thought it would. Would uh, I, I, I believe I did have uh, uh, Dosanos and and in the distance, but I didn't expect need to go down that fast, and um, wasn't surprised at the grappling aspect because, like I stated in the breakdown, you know Dosanos really good positional grappler. Um, does well uh, against Magni for those. So, um, uh, Magny I should say struggles against those. So yeah. Uh, that played out as is. DJ Borg was a real bummer. Um, and from what I hear, you know, the perfecting athletes thing, that kind of didn't matter what Borg said. It was going to make him look bad. And then like like, like like me and so many, we all get emotional, right? And he certainly did too. So that really didn't help him. But if you read between the lines or talk to people in the know, um, they're perfecting athletes, although well-intentioned and I'm sure it has its own science to back up its own facts and I'm sure it seems to be nutrient-dense food. Um, questionable selections, questionable times, questionable proportions is what I hear from the inside track. So that doesn't surprise me. Also, in just looking at Borg's physique, you know, and matching it up with personal turmoil to the times he missed weight. Not that that's an excuse, but again, just looking at the physique, cutting the politics aside. You could kind of see, oh yeah, he was going to miss weight. Something was going on. He didn't even look uh, even as in shape as this time or this or that. And I got to sit next to him during that like Friday interview about two weeks ago, prior to the weigh-in, and he looked like he was almost already on weight, you know, sitting right next to him in person. And uh, so I didn't think he was going to have any issues. So, in other words, I'm saying I I think there's some weight in the perfecting athletes thing. That's not for me to decide, nor for me to sway you and decide your opinion. That's just just my opinion. But again, I don't. It's not a lot. That's just more speculation than opinion, to be honest. So. Anyways, it sucks that the fight didn't happen. And then Nunes versus Shevchenko. Um, y'all know I love Shevchenko. And y'all know I've been the biggest fan. And definitely been uh, a vocal critic even at times of Nunes. But you know, your boy wasn't upset with this. Again, I don't want to repeat a thing that most people are saying by now. But I've said it You know, before. I'm not a big person on that robbery word. I don't feel it was a robbery here. I, I did score at 48-47 to Shevchenko. I saw very a lot of people who i respect uh, who understand striking scoring it similar if not even giving shevchenko four rounds kind of your perspective on how you feel about um you know three stuff takedowns or whatever and one successful takedown without striking and um a borderline hooks without even rocking weight much less um establishing position though would have counted in a, like a grappler's quest or knock or some bullshit. I'm talking about. Nunez's back take, the head and arm throw, not quite Weidman wheel kick level, but you know it, it definitely was a crucial point in what was a close fight. And like I even said on Twitter, it should be the score Chevchenko 48-47, but you know they don't they don't favor counter strikers well. Oh, uh, well, if you knew that, Dan, why would you pick Chevchenko? F- well, I picked her inside the distance. I wasn't. I wasn't banking on the decision. I certainly wasn't banking on Nuñez to win the decision, so credit to her in that respect. But even Nuñez supporters, vocal Nuñez supporters, um, people even you know, arguably maybe maybe overcorrecting the steering wheel when it comes to Nuñez. Even they were honest. Well, hey, how much credit can we really give for the for the gas tank? You know, there wasn't anything going on. And you know, she took large, 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 large stretches of the fight off. So, you know. But hey, they scored it the way they scored it, and it just, you know, the, the scorecards, unfortunately, even though it was a close fight, not a robbery, the scorecards did not help the narrative because you got, you know, I think it was like Tony Weeks, even like the, the scorecard who was for Shevchenko, did not score the fourth round for Shevchenko, which was Shevchenko's most clearest round and arguably the clearest round for either fighter throughout the entirety of the fight. So, yeah, the scorecards did certainly not help that narrative. Um, Yeah. Uh, Shachanko was salty, did not make her look good. Uh, Nunez, to her credit, is getting better, although she just is not very great, like as you know, as I've said before, at acknowledging her opponent at all, unless asked about it, which at the press conference, again, she then acknowledged and did much better. I gotta say, she, she's doing much better. Although I will say though, the press conference was kind of funny because it was like, like, oh, did you? Uh, was there something wrong? Was the? Oh yeah, yeah. the The sinuses was bad. Or, hey, did you have a injury to? Uh, or someone, you know, so she's like, oh, I had an injury to the foot, and someone's like, was it a pre-existing injury to the foot? You know, and then he threw out a kind of a rough. And this is how it's kind of telling because then he threw a, a rough example, almost as if he felt he needed to reiterate, which I don't blame him for. You know, it's. English is is a second language. God bless her for trying and improving on it, which she did a good job on. But, you know, the journalist reiterates his question, but reiterates with kind of an example going, you know, because, you know, you bang stuff up, whether it's your foot, your elbows. And he didn't mean elbows. There was no point where anybody thought, nor did a- a- Amanda insinuate, that there's anything wrong with the elbows. But he th- there's a journalist, and he throws that in there as kind of a reiteration. And not only does Amanda Nunez kind of take the ball and run with it even further, not saying for excuses or anything because she won the fight. there's no excuses to make good for her, you know, um, I'm not arguing with it. it wasn't a robbery, cool, but I'm just saying that she definitely takes and runs with it. She's like, yeah, yeah, my foot was hurting, yeah, my elbow was hurting. <laughs> She's just like mm-hmm. like if I was looking at over like amanda, I noticed that uh. Your uh, patella was uh, <laughs> just starting, like naming. Oh yeah, yeah, that was hurting too. Like she was just taking things and kind of, kind of running with it. With uh, and as you know, if you there's a certain people like Chael Sun and there's a certain code even like on how to win and how to not how some people kind of take offense or you know to making any excuses even if it's something that kind of make you kind of look good. Like yeah, by the way, uh, not only did I beat this guy, but I was sick and on my deathbed. And I still beat him. <laughs> no, and I don't think it was. It was she didn't mean it that way, but it was kind of just funny watching that that post fight. But credit to Amanda. And then I also saw her, I think, do something with like a cancer, give her patient to a cancer kid, and I always got a soft spot for that. So, so uh, props Amanda on improving in multiple ways, um, inside and out. Although I don't know how much credit we can give the gas tank. I do want to give credit because I've been a critic to her in the past on the things she has improved and done well on. So, is there anything else to recap on before we? Um, yeah, thank you, JBLE. Thank you, uh, Ray Donovan. I won't use the real name. I'll just use Ray Donovan. Uh, Carl Cook. I could say Carl Cook. Carl Cook. Thank you, sir. Um. And yeah, everybody we went on the trip with. Uh, you know, um, I didn't want to keep saying the names. I already feel like a name dropping motherfucker. But uh, but yeah, seriously though, thank y'all. It was it was it was awesome. Even just talking to these. These young kids who are just, you know, blowing me away with their knowledge on intelligence and the training of fucking multi-million dollar equipment. God bless y'all. Alright, on that beat, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we will knock out, get to unpack, if you will, UFC Pittsburgh and all my picks and plays. It's an easy beat of nothing And we don't need no guitars We can always sing and wreck our cars Be careful of the judge inside The technical difficulties you're hearing are brought to you by Fuckery. I don't know what's causing them, but I hope they're fixed soon. Thanks for listening. and pull it from where the are bound die. Oh, die, 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 You know that you'll die, 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 die. I know you'll die, die, die. And we're back, right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast for the UFC Pittsburgh uh, as per usual, we're gonna start from uh, excuse me. We're gonna start from bottom to top, unpacking the picks and plays. Which, with all the lineup changes and hurricane um, disasters involved, I don't even think there's gonna be anything on Fight Pass because uh, I think Sago and Burns gets moved up. And as you see uh, Sago if you see in the breakdown again you can find on Uh is one of the underdogs I have selected. I'm like, why is that? I'm like, believe me, I asked myself. That was like an 11th hour pick where I was kind of going back and forth. Let me rewatch this. Mm, I'm not satisfied. Let me rewatch that. And, uh, and and perhaps, you know, speaking of overcorrecting the steering wheel, we all do it. And and this could be me here because, uh, you know, I've always been high on Gilbert Burns, not just because of uh, his accolades and me appreciating the jiu-jitsu. And, you know, the things I've heard through, you know, uh, mutual coaches and whatnot, uh, I've said about him, you know, just great. It just, I feel like maybe I've been too high on him and maybe we've all been too high on him, you know, from things, you know, uh, people I've respected his opinions on him to, you know, uh, past lines that he's got, right, from odds makers. Maybe we've all been a little too high and, you know, even in some victories, he felt like he was kind of coming short of the bar in one way or or the other. And I mean that in a respectful way, because you know, obviously, he's fucking doing what what me or most can't uh, in many ways. Um, But um, you know, this is as far as expectation and, and being honest with with what's on paper. And, uh, and you look at it, it's just now he's thirty one, and I'm not going to get any, you know any you know in, in, in any other maybe you know intangibles. In, in All we can all we can decide upon is really what we see inside the ring, right? And there's just a lot of inconsistencies from what we physically see with our eyes to, you know, the performances um, that are being produced. And at his best, you know, he can put together some strikes, have some good offensive wrestling, and even against a guy like Sago, who is no slouch, not just a a black belt, but I believe Hicks and Gracie lineage, um, I believe, is, is Jason Sago. But you know, not much people stack up on paper, gi or out of the gi even um, with with, with Durin, you know, Gilbert Burns. So in that sense, I see why he's a favorite, and I was almost surprised when the line was so close. And seeing other people on Sago, and I know I've been kind of high on Sago in the past, and uh, but he's deceptive, man. He's he's like he's a deceptively tough dude. You know, um, again, not to not to not to name drop, but I I, I had a conversation with the the opponent of his. Um, you know, this past week. And even he was saying, yeah, he's a deceptively tough guy. Not a lot of people know him, but he's tough. And um, and uh, this is more based on kind of volume. It's You know, I'm, I'm not sure I see either guy submitting each other soberly, which means they would have to hurt each other. And each guy is more of kind of a volume guy figuring out their style um, kind of a thing. But they're both kind of 31, so we've seen their style. So now it's the question of, well, are we seeing the limits, right? How close to the ceiling are we? Those are the kind of questions we're we're asking, at least on paper. Of course, there's outliers and anomalies everywhere in MMA. I'm not saying it's not beyond possibility, but yeah, those are the kind of the questions, at least I have from my analysis viewpoint of this. What's what's closer to the ceiling? So, all things being equal, I see even without you know, even if you know Burns has better cardio than he's shown in the past, um, Sago's been you know positionally dominated toward the end of rounds by guys like Kobylov and still has still had fight in him to get back to his feet and keep scrapping even when he was clearly behind um and had the cardio to facilitate that mental fortitude um Burns you know I'm not sure if I can you know comfortably say the mental fortitude he's a competitor he's talented as shit he's more talented than Sago yeah definitely But from the mental fortitude to the gas tank supporting it, I'm not sure I see that. And even at Burns' best, he's still hanging back against the cage, which is where Sago does his best work, both striking and with takedowns. And even if he can't score takedowns, he can get pressure against the fence, which can make it kind of a deceptively close fight, like you saw in his fight against Felder. Um, Sago's fight against Felder. Um, Not that Burns had a fight against Felder, but I'm just clarifying. Anyways, (laughs) it's late. Your boy hasn't slept much. (laughs) But, uh... But, yeah, so th- th- this is something where I see, even though you know Sago's more kind of karate style kicks come straight up and carry less power. They're faster, they're more frequent. He strikes together more frequently, works at a uh, higher output and pace. Um, and I see that moving forward as well, which we you know, which we see still kind of counts for a lot. The old Diego Sanchez or more relevant Amanda Nunez approach right you move forward you win the round and we've seen that in a man not hating on it but let's we have to note these things and 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 give them their 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 their, their proper credence and uh, and yeah so I, I I see sago taking a close decision he's a dog I sprinkled a little bit on him by decision because if that's the way first of all that's the way I see this fight going so this is like an over I wouldn't blame you for playing um boy do we have that over listed. I don't think I have it up. Excuse me. Did I not play this? Well, I put a, a quarter unit for fun, which is like, you know, just a couple bucks for Dan Tom's unit size, um, mind you. This is more just unit size, just to give you perspective on confidence of bet, to put a number there. Um, again, apologies that that part's not on the breakdowns, but that's what this podcast is for. And... Uh, y'all can read between the lines i'm sure you'll know that the betting and analysis and then that side of things have to be kind of separate anyway so that's how it is and hey be grateful if you're listening to this you don't lose a beat you don't you, know, you don't lose anything you don't miss a beat but yeah that over for sago burns is two and a half minus 230 yeah that's parlay fodder yeah it's definitely parlay fodder um wow okay i add that to an over that we're gonna to get to later but yeah um burn Sago over two and a half minus 230 but yeah uh, the only play I did was you know decision just a small sprinkle there again even though I'm not confident I don't recommend you play any money on Sago and I honestly don't recommend you putting any money on either is uh, this is first on the fights to avoid list I know again there's no list to kind of physical list to cite like normal but the section's still alive baby it's on here and it's on top of the list. Sago and Burns to avoid. But, yeah, I'm just being honest with you. I'm going to put it on there. I'm at least going to do the old Dan Tom dollar bet. But I'm giving the specifics to what I really played. Again, all honesty here. But my advice, fucking avoid. All right. Uh, Felipe Arantes, Luke Sanders. Canceled. Good thing about recording your podcast. late. All this fucking nonsense. You get to avoid some of it. Although, not all of it. Because that's right. <sighs> Tiago Alves versus Mike Perry was. And I was going to play Alves, by the way. But we'll get to that later. Uh, that was going to be one of the straight plays. So there's only two on the straight playlist, which we'll get to in due time. So I guess the next one is what? Uriah Hall versus Christoph Jutko. I'm going to check now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This one's tough, man. I mean, <clears throat> Uriah Hall. Um, again, not that it matters because I separate the fan and analyst thing, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not the biggest fan I'm not like against him or, uh, he's a great fighter love his style but I'm honestly not a fan like the biggest fan of him I guess like if that makes sense wow that's not a personal it's not personal at all but the reason why I'm kind of clarifying that is because he's been training at Extreme Couture for a, all y'all know but also oh, Dan shouldn't that have that bias and this and that and uh, if anything I should have a bias because he's being trained not trained but uh, one of the coaches is um, Eric Nixick my man there one of the managers, and you see him in the corner of a lot of fighters. He knows his stuff. He's been in the game for uh, many years, selling rap tunes ever since Honey was wearing Sassoons or however that goes. Now it's ninety-five, and they. Are, but yeah, Eric, Nick, Nick Six, my man, and uh, he's a real sharp dude too. By the way, he's he not just been around um, or anything like that. He's he's a real sharp dude, and uh, we've had conversations. There wasn't any official scouting, like like. uh with Roy or anything like that, um, but uh, uh, we had some conversations about this matchup, and um, uh, I don't know what they're going to do, I, I, I kind of made it a point not to, I just was, you know, kind of giving him um, some thoughts from my perspective, and that was it, just as, as, as friend to friend, and, uh, and you know, I prefer not to know game plans or this and that, and, but, and I don't, you know, of course, as you know, sorry if I speak coded. But there's a hard line that I don't cross as far as you know, revealing information. But what I can, what I can say is that uh, you know Eric was taking uh, Uriah out of his comfort zone, which is a good thing. You kind of got to do with someone like that. And um, Eric's not a yes man. Again, he's a sharp dude. Eric's a very smart guy. So there's a lot of what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of good things going Uriah Hall's way that maybe want to pick him just for that, but. Again, it's a tough matchup on paper for one, which is why the pick is Yoko. So I'm sorry, Eric. You know I love you. You know I'm rooting for you here. Hall um, two. But it's a tough matchup on paper. And they know that. There's no illusion. Again, Eric's a real sharp dude. He's not a yes man. He knows what needs to be done. And uh, if they do it, I think they're going to have a good night. But it, uh, the pick is Yoko. but And... Uh, even though Yoko's a, a, a parlay piece, I, I, I may or may not would maybe end up giving, and I don't blame you if that would be one of your parlay pieces. I was scared away from it because, you know, if they do go in there and uh, if the prep pays off as their plan, then could be a very good night for Uriah. Uh, and I hope them, and I wish them well. So I can't really honestly recommend that, but I definitely don't hate if you're playing Yoko because, again, it's a tough matchup for Hall. You know, um, but but yeah, and I wasn't even sure if this fight was going to be on because I'm, I'm still not even sure how fucking y- they're traveling together, yet Alves is off the damn card, and Yoko is, is still on. Anyways, knock on wood there. Um, but yeah, the pick is Yoko, and, you know, showing that, hey, this guy can shrink a uh, tour, it's not going to affect um, my bias. I state my biases, I'm real honest with them, and even the ones that are close to home, in a literal sense, I can still keep a, a, a sensible mind about myself, where you know, I can tell you honestly what the analysis says, and still be honest and be like, hey, I'm rooting for this guy and wishing him well, and that's the case here. Next fight, uh, and that's a, that's on the avoid as well. Next fight is the last on the avoid, even though there's, there's you could argue a lot of this should be avoid because there ain't fucking shit for parlay pieces. Anyways, next fight, Anthony Hamilton, um, you know. The dark-skinned Vince Vaughn in the sense that he has eyes that look like this fucker never sleeps. Versus uh, Daniel Spitz. Um, the tall dude from the Rick Little camp. Uh, yeah. Who fought what God be. Uh in his last time out. Um, not a lot to say about this one. I, I, I don't recommend anything. Um, shit, the only thing I could even see playing... Um, Shout out to Brad from the MMA analysis. I know this is his this is his thing. The the over, the yeah, heavyweight over, right? The the as he says fatty's going to be fatty. I can see I can see y'all doing that. What's it listed at right now? Um, shit, yeah, minus one twenty over one and a half. This could be go, go to fucking decision. We're just both guys just afraid to fucking clash heads and double knock out each other. Like that could be the match. Uh, either that happens, or the fear of that happening allows nothing to happen. And wow, long list in the prelims, guys. You ready? There's a whole, a whole another fight to cover. Tony Martin versus Aubin. Olivier aubin Messier. <laughs> uh, the second dog pick, maybe the only dog pick now that uh, Alves is off the card, I believe. And I'm depending on what um, another fight was opened at. Yeah, I got Tony Martin here, man. I I picked against Tony Martin in the past, and he's burned me. But this isn't an overcorrecting the steering wheel, um, and this isn't like you know uh, a fade type deal on on OAM, um, which I could see why you know people would want to fade him in the past. Um, I may or may not have took a shot against Sims, or with with Sims against him, but um, but yeah, um, OAM, you know. It's weird because it's like he showed some improvements. Like, I really like how he rolled out from his two. He's like one of those guys where he almost looks like he does better against fellow southpaws, you know? You look at his record especially, OAM. But, uh, you know, and you saw him, you know, when he when he hits his two, he rolls out from the hook, and, and you saw these improvements. But then it's a weird thing where he gets rocked again, kind of like in the Carlos Diego Fajeda fight and other fights where he gets tagged, you know, you know, even a little bit in the Chad Priest fight, where, like, you see him kind of get in his own head and... You want I want to say that he takes time off, but another reason why I'm picking against him here, he has that style where he kind of like leans back against the fence, or will, will reside there and wait for his body kick counters, which he used to kind of spam too heavily. And again, now he's kind of got better with his counter cross, which will still have play against the taller orthodox uh, striker and, and Tony Martin's. But um, but yeah, I don't again I don't referring back you know to that model of counter striking and staying on the outside you're not again you want to think that judges know what they're looking at but you're not hedging your bets you know there's still there's still probably you know some uh, you know uh, retard casualty points in the grand scheme of things if you're doing a real kind of a numbers graph breakdown on what your potential losses are of percent percent points and when you hang by the cage you're probably losing you know 7 7 to 10 uh, out of 100 on a judge's scorecard which doesn't sound like a lot but it all adds up, and in close fights, it means a shit ton and little round variation, to be wrong, and three, much less, or five, I should say, much less three, which this is a three-round fight, obviously. Yeah, little room for error, and against a guy like Martins, who seemed to find his stride, especially against Johnny Case. I know a lot of people hard on Johnny Case, and maybe I was a little overly high on him, but that doesn't change the fact that Johnny Case is no fucking slouch in what is a deep, lightweight division, and especially the fact that, tony martin on paper was playing right in johnny case's hand and just fucking out diazed him or you know just diazed him outboxed him um sneaking the twos you you, you saw that after even his first camp uh, you know three fights back when he was fighting felipe Oliveri. um he starts kind of finding the angles uh you know kind of similar to eddie alvarez versus rda you know finding it around the shelling guard and coming with uppercuts like He's finally putting it all together. He's been around, and, you know, he looks like... You know, Tony Martin's been around. He looks like an emaciated Jay Moore with AIDS. But that's besides the point, man. The guy, <laughs> the guy's hitting his stride. And uh, OEM, by the way, looks like one of those, like, 1960s claymation. Like, Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. And the elf, Robin Mercier, came to the toy shop with a rear naked choke. Uh, anyways, but, yeah. Uh, I see the emaciated um, Jay Moore... Winning this fight, whether through volume, possibly catching Aubin Mercier and forcing a stoppage through strikes or something of that sort on the floor. I could see that too. Um, Tony Martins is one of two straight plays. Uh, Got him at plus 100 um, for one unit. I'm I'm pretty sure he was higher. Uh, Gratz, not Gratz, just the fucking fight has to happen first, but um, you know. For all you early line getters, congrats to you just in general. Um, I guess I should say because, as you know, I usually don't look at lines till like right before I'm about to write my write-ups after the analysis is already done. And these things, even though it's a little later than I'd like to be, still kind of come out later in the week. So usually, in other words, what you're getting with me are later lines. You're not really getting the early lines. I'm not one of those guys. And nothing wrong with that. Just saying for y'all that are hungry for them early takes and early lines, there's, there's, there's better people than me to follow. That's all. Um. All right. <clears throat> all right. Main card. Uh. Justin Ledet versus Zhu Awanyu. I think, and, and Yanwu, or however you, you say it. Um. Yeah. Uh. Zhu essentially looks like a kind of blown up Rashad Evans on his worst day, where he's extra tentative, doesn't throw anything, but literally seems to have life-changing power in his counter right hand. Um, is actually like a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's like pretty competent in transitions. Even has decent takedown ability and will do an occasional shot as well as, you know, different types of takedowns from the clinch. Problem is just his activity fucking limited. And he doesn't really do stuff to help build his chances to win. So unless he lands that life-ending shot against Ledette who is hittable, but I imagine Ledette has to know this against the taller, as he will be the taller, longer, more skilled, more fast heavyweight, I imagine Ledet will be doing his normal kind of Diaz brother routine, piling up the volume, flicking jabs out with impunity, and um, I, I actually put a a fun flyer on the I think in the uh, in in rounds uh, round three, because I think he's gonna build. In other words, not only is he smart enough to see that uh, the counter right hand is gonna be there, but he's gonna know that that first round is gonna be crucial for a guy who loads. Excuse me who loads and depends on his power, is going to be strongest in the first round, especially a guy who is fighting on short notice because Liddell was supposed to fight um, Sonosovsky or some weird fucking Eastern European name. But, uh so, he's going to know that guy on short notice. Granted, you know, he fought in July um on Contender Series. On one you did, but that's probably enough time to cheeseburger the fuck up. So, I'm sure Liddell knows that. Uh He takes his prep seriously, as you can he- tell, even, like, by watching his... uh watching his post-fight for his first fight with Chase Sherman after Altitude and talking shit on his opponent for not getting out there really. Mmm. That's not coffee. I've been drinking so much coffee lately, I forgot that Uh, I had a, an adult beverage in my hand. But, um, yeah, I cracked that during the second half, by the way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I see Liddick kind of piling up the volume. But m- more importantly, I actually played the over straight up. And um, I don't know about it, it. It's if you're doing like a fun parlay where you don't mind like throwing your money in the trash, you could put it in there. Um, but I may have even kept it off of those. You know, Dan Tom will at least do one of those where he just puts a little bit of money, and is okay throwing it in the trash. But this was actually low enough and worth playing. I played the uh, I played the over here, which is set at one and a half. Um. On a serious note sorry yeah there it is uh minus 145 you know just a quarter unit just a couple in other words a couple bucks for Dan Tom that's it but um again coming from the boxing and actually having boxing experience Ladette knows how to draw things out you could argue even watching his regional fights where he's getting getting off on guys that he he, he might be a heavyweight that has kind of questionable power doesn't have the best knockout power which is a knock. However, again, if we're looking at overs, this is a good thing. A guy knows how to keep his range, he knows how to play safe, and then pour on heavy at the end of rounds. Let his guy get tired first, and then, you know, take his best, and then and and then pour on late. So, in other words, I think that that round, that one and a half round, is going to be safe, knowing that that is his only uh, his opponent. Roughly, is his only path to victory. Although, you know, if zoo you know gets a fire lit under his ass maybe he could get some you know he could steal two out of the three rounds to takedowns and positional control if Ledette is careless or takedown defense doesn't look as good as it did on the regional scene which actually looked underrated the things he was doing like he's trying to hit switches you know he's checking oil to pull up and sit and, and, and you know and sit up uh when an opponent's kind of trying to sit through through a you know Head outside signal or something like that. He's doing... His head's in the right place, in other words. So, I think he's going to be okay there. But, yeah, knowing that his opponent's best chances is his counter right hand early, I think Ledette's going to take that round off and then just pour it on late. So, if he only has... It only has to go one and a half for something as low as, you know, minus 145. Um. Yeah, I took a shot on it. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh. Next fight. Sergio Moraes versus Kamar Usman. Usman inflated up to a minus 800. Uh, people like the wrestling. Every once in a while, there are wrestlers that, you know, bring back those Sean Shirk, Matt Hughes odds where odds makers were just flinging favorite lines. Like, take my money whenever a wrestler would face anybody. But Usman is one of those guys, and deservedly so. I mean, even look at his his, his Division two footage. Like, he's hitting certain takedowns from spots where, let's just say, guys usually don't hit it from. And, you know, now he's showing that in MMA, too, especially there's some spots up against the fence where, you know, it's kind of strength over over skill. But he's got the skill, and that's the thing. He's also got a knack for footwork. You know, Kamar Usman is naturally, whether he's fiending forward or kind of moving laterally, he's, he's got a real good knack for corralling his opponents into the fence. And, you know, Mirai shows effect going forward. He can even do some crafty shit for an old guy missing part of his fucking arm. You know, he's pretty good. But he fights in bursts. And... He's a stick-and-move stylist at heart. More importantly, he takes stretches of the rounds off, giving up the center, which, again, we've kind of been hitting at nauseum, maybe because of relevance of recent events. But, yeah, it it applies here. And, um, yeah, well, is Usman going to want to take him down? Maybe not. You know, hey, maybe he doesn't want to be as hungry to take him down. But can he take him down and stay out of his guillotine? I think so. Um... Regardless, does that mean that Usman doesn't have clinches and boxing range on the way in, on the way out, off the brakes, and inside the clinch, both grappling and striking? He has all those options, and I think he's going to exercise those options in this fight. Uh, I really like the over here. That is a recommended parlay piece. Sadly, it's an over is the most recommended parlay piece I could have, 2.5 minus 245. If you want to get greedy and just do this, uh, you know, starts uh, starts round three. Um, you're gonna add a little bit. You're gonna add about half a dollar's worth. You know, you're gonna get that in the minus uh, minus 300 range is where that's coming in. Um, I may have used both, but either way, I don't see either guy submitting each other. Obviously, uh, Usman should be dictating the wrestling, making it a grinding affair. And even though he's showing big jumps in his fight-to-fight improvement, I'm not sold. He has natural power, but I'm not sold he's found that power yet. Whereas Mirai's, oddly enough, might have the power advantage as far as heavy hands because he has those deceptively heavy hands and he wings them like all those Evalu Kaltai guys do, you know, Trinaldo and the rest of the company over there that he trains with. Um, you know, The problem is both guys have, have good chins, they recover well, and again, they both have grappling in their back pocket. So even if one guy does hurt the other... The recoverability is going to be there. It's kind of rare, and this is a a fight where Usman needs a statement. As a fan of Usman and wanting him to do well in his career, I want him to make a statement. But man, the analysis is screaming overs all day long. That said, if Usman is really turning it up, I could see him produce a late uh, finish, especially since Mariah Jones took maybe tire a little bit certain parts of the fight. Um, it was a little hard to tell that Chagas one because he got dropped early. How much do you account for that? But he was tiring a bit against Davi Ramos, which was like there wasn't even a lot of grappling. You know, this was on the feet and Davi Ramos was short, had a reach advantage, short notice, etc. So I can see that, which is why I was kind of toying with a little bit of inconsistency from fight starts round three to the over. But that's probably my strongest lean um, as far as that goes. The next strongest lean is next, though. Uh, even though he's in minus 450 territory, which is a number I, I associate with Scoggins. Oh shit! What if Gonzalez chokes him out now? That's right. I got Gregor Gillespie over Jason Gonzalez. Jason Gonzalez um, could be a spoiler here, though. I'm real high on Gregor. I'm real high again. The wrestling hype is deserved. Uh, Gregor, in his own right, is getting treated with that a bit here. Um, we can't look too much into that. His first knockout win as it was against Holbrook. And you hate to criticize guys' chins. But some guys, how can you not criticize their chin? That was one of them. Not to take anything away from Gregor. But we, we all should probably temper that a bit for now. Uh, however, outside of his wrestling, his transitional grappling is really superb. This guy really he reminds me of Michael Chan in the sense that he really embraces you know, those wrestlers that start taking mounts and sticking hooks and knowing how to float early on. And really... Taking a passion of that, watch out, brother! Watch out! Now you have it in the hands of a you know those kind of tools and passions in the hands of a NCAA champion, um, Gregor Gillespie. Well, that's a bad news, and that's the kind of guy you want to face, Jason Gonzalez. Although Jason Gonzalez is really big for a lightweight. That said, next to Paul Felder, I think the, uh, the biggest lightweight is a uh, Glossio Franca, and um, I felt that Franca was live in that fight. Against Gillespie, and uh, it was on. I believe it was on one of my fights to avoid. Even though I did end up siding with Gregor, um, but but Gillespie was uh, not. But Gillespie, Gillespie, Franco was live, and we saw that um, in the striking department. But we also saw Gregor able to take a guy like that down, who is no slouch of a grappler, a better grappler, a better defensive wrestler than Gonzalez. Who Gonzalez kind of looks like he's more, he's more uh, triggered to go to a tie clench, which he has a nasty tie clench. And with his 6'2 frame, like, God bless you, kid. Use that tie clench. The problem is he ends up a beat behind whether he's successful in defending the takedowns or not because from the tie clench, he's having to quickly go to an overhook. And his, his overhook, he doesn't have that urgency in his, in his high hoisting. So guys are getting in on his hips, which are kind of naturally there as he's tall, especially when he's facing a 5'9 guy who's you know looks shorter than Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan is generally listed at 5'8" which kind of confirms my suspicions. No way Gregor is 5'9". I think Gregor is maybe even a generous 5'8". Regardless, he showed he can get the job done against bigger, more talented guys. I think he does it against Jason Gonzalez, but Jason Gonzalez is going to be live. There's going to be some scares. He's really good at knees and head kicks, and whether you look at, you know, uh, Gregor Gillespie's fight against Franca or his fights in the regional scene um, on the East Coast, he's he's shot into knees multiple times before. Now, he's taking him like a champ, but that's not something you want to lean on in MMA, you know? It's not something you want to lean on in MMA. So it's going to be something worth to watch out for here. And God forbid he fails in the takedown against Gonzalez, who actually, to his credit, has a decent sprawl in the open. He's got to watch out for Gonzalez's long arms because Gonzalez uses, he, he, you know, he, he, the front headlock, like I said, guys, it leads to either back takes or front chokes and darces. You know, uh, I, I always use the, even this fight never happened, it's because it was one of my more better breakdowns as far as explaining things go. Um, uh, was uh, you know, Khabib versus Ferguson in that danger zone. What one guy's got game thrives on, but that street that he needs to go on is also a street where the other guy thrives on from the opposite angle. It's those kind of intricacies that are always most interesting, at least to me as an analyst. So you kind of get a little bit of that here, that Gregor needs to get his takedown, and Gonzalez you know, has so many finishes from knees, tie clenches, and then front chokes and darces. You know, I really like that one he got on J.C. Cottrell because he 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 does that aggressive where he just shoots the arm in there. He literally shoots an arm up like a like like you know Ken doing a oh, you can almost like you know he's, he's shooting his arm up there like, for a darce. But then he does a palm to palm grip, which is correct. It's standard. Although <clears throat> shout out to Neil Melanson, I'm more of a fan of the three finger grip. Something I cannot explain on the podcast, but it's kind of like the palm to palm grip you see. Uh, Jason Gonzalez hit on uh, JC Cottrell before finishing the, the DARS. It's maybe like step 1.5 of 4, if you will, on a scale, on a rough scale. But the three finger grip is very similar, except going palm to palm, your thumb is kind of interlocking um, between the index and middle finger as you're grabbing the three fingers, pinky between said middle finger, those three pinky, ring, and middle finger. Point is, you are palm to palm, and with the forearm, Acting kind of as a fulcrum, pressing down on the back of the head of your opponent, you saw Gonzalez able to wrench him down right into the dars. James Vick did a similar thing, motion catches him real nicely. James Vick did against uh, Abel Trujillo, um, and uh, and yeah, Gonzalez does the same thing. He also uses his long legs as well, so often kind of uh, you know showing that he has some good lever awareness there, at least leverage awareness. Where he will hook his leg into his opponent's leg to kind of stop them from escaping, rolling, and allow the leverage and crush to really close in on his choke. So, I mean, that's a live threat here, but as long as Gregor doesn't dive into a darts or knee, it's just his fight to lose. Um, I did sprinkle, I know for sure, plus 800, just, you know, again, a couple bucks, Gregor, round three, because I think Gregor's going to want to go for a finish. I think also. Gonzalez, not just from what his record indicates, but from what I see, he's a very do-or-die spirit. So, if he doesn't do, he's gonna die. But when is he gonna die? And I think it's gonna be third round because not nah, die. Jeez, that's really bad. I fucking don't hope anybody dies. You know what I'm saying, Bocce. Uh But uh, yeah, what I'm trying to say is I I, I think um the highest percentage chances. Gragger is gonna be smart enough, and his style is more of a cook. You know, he he, he, ca- he cooks what he catches, and when you cook things, they don't. Uh, you know, sometimes it's more of a slow cook. And against a big guy, he's gonna have a lot of fight. And we gotta cook those guys a little more for the you stuff. So round two, round three is kind of a thing to look at. Gregor, if you're looking at fun angles to play, because even inside the distance is still like chalky, like minus one seventy one or some shit. All right, next fight: Anthony Lionheart Smith versus Hector Lombard. I don't know if Anthony Smith opened as a dog. It's currently as a pick of minus one ten, as it probably should be. But my pick is Anthony Smith. Um, listener of the Protect Your Neck podcast, he actually gave us a shout out. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, I've I've I gotta come clean. I've picked against Anthony Smith before, but I've always been real high on his talents. And you even hear people that I respect, like Brian Stan, high on his talents, and for good reason. You know, he he spent time on bottom and done questionable decisions that have cost him fights, or at least made fights that he won a lot closer than they needed to be. But if you really look at the techniques of what's going on, I really love his grip and hip awareness. He uses something I love called cross-wrist control. to sweep his hit throughout his career, but kind of most notably in his recent fight against Andrew Sanchez. I believe he hits it in the first round where he's in half guard from bottom. And a cross-wrist control, you're not just grabbing someone's wrist, which does so much because, guys, if you control a wrist or you disrupt just one of their grips, they only have one hand. And if you have one hand... Well, it's hard to submit somebody with one hand, okay? Even if they're in certain leg lock positions, I mean, certain intricate submissions, when you really break down leverage and what's needed, a lot of times, if you can take away that one hand, it becomes very tough to finish all sorts of submissions, neck, joint, lower, upper extremity, and otherwise. Also, even, this is more, uh, you gotta kind of be a grappler to kind of get a grasp of this, but I will do my best to explain through audio, even through passing. So, for example... If you're on bottom like Anthony Smith was and someone's on top of you and you even just not throw across grips, any kind of grip, I'm disrupting, I'm grabbing a wrist. One hand, two hands, preferably one hand. Um, It's hard to pass. Even if someone has a loose half guard and I'm like, okay, I want to pass now and get my leg out. Even if they're not grabbing the wrist where even if they're not grabbing the wrist on the same side where an underhook is needed, so if I'm passing to their right, I better have an underhook on their, on you know their right under on their under their right arm, which is my left. In other words, an opposing counter pressure from where my body's going on, so I can still have an even distribution balance of weight on top, even when they're not disrupting that, and that arm's free to underhook, and they're disrupting the quote-unquote near side wrist. Um, it's tough. It's really tough to advance position. It creates a bunch of space, and you can use that space to retain guard, get your hips up, maybe even get a step ahead, throw up for a triangle. Uh, shout out to my buddy Jake Sweeney who won a lightweight title. He got taken down on his side control. Use a cross grip where he reached across. The reason why it's good is because when you reach across, you're not only disrupting the grip, but when you reach across, it makes usually. Anytime I can get someone's arm across their body, whether it's in a striking, self-defense, or grappling scenario, it's good because they're weak. Or in a grappling form, a mount, and they reach across their body, you can pin their chest to my uh, my chest to theirs, trapping their arm in between, and that's one less arm. So on and so forth. But when you were talking about things like wrist controls, it's actually good to reach across your body because, especially in the MMA context. You are reaching with one hand, but they still have one hand free to hit you. In theory, depending on the position, but if you're reaching across your body, you almost kind of make a shield, right? Like 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 Batman holding or a superhero holding a cape over his wing, or holding a cape over the you know the bottom of his face, right? That 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 visual. It's like the same thing. You're reaching across your body where your bicep is almost punching you, yourself in the cheek, but that's good because it's kind of protecting your chin. It's almost like the you know a more protected version of the shoulder roll, but you're on the ground, you're in an isolated situation. And like I said, the best grapplers, it's not they're doing creative and fancy things, the best grapplers are delineating one motion that is acting at a minimum of two to sometimes three duties. Right, they're multitasking, they're the multitaskers. That is where, that's what really gets my rocks going as an analyst, as a grappler, and, cause that's what I see at least in my view, in my studies. What the best grapplers are doing they're doing multiple things at once so you see anthony smith do that he'll reach across cross grip blocking punches but it also kind of gains a leverage it creates a fulcrum because you know if i reach across with my right wrist to grab the guy on top of me's right wrist right because it's going to be on opposite sides of the body if he's on top of me when you're reaching right hand to right hand so i'm going to reach my right hand to his right wrist i have a shield to block from punches but it also provides a fulcrum to create space, opening the inside of his forearm, opening the hip space, which allows Anthony Smith's hips. And at 6'4", his hips have some force. He actually has very good control when he's on top or bottom from his half guard. Anthony Smith is really deceptive, and he bumps guys over. And Now he's on top. I mean, against you know a, a small guy like Hector Lombard, who's at a generous 5'9", Lombard's probably 5'8". Um, even though Lombard's base is incredible, you know, he really is underrated when he has the gas and wherewithal. He he's, he's a fucking high-level grappler. He really is. It's not just Joe Rogan pontification there. He really is a high-level grappler. But all those leverages and technical advantages that Anthony Smith likes to look for are going to be amplified with the way their frames make up. So whether H- Hector is sober or not, hurt or not, fresh or not, he may be in trouble from bottom or top against Anthony Smith there. But I see more than knees and head kicks. You know, Lombard kind of dips into those. We've seen that before. He has low hands, and he kind of dips into shit. And, uh, Anthony, and Anthony Smith's dangerous at all ranges. I mean, he he he. it's kind of weird because he, he went backwards. He's a tall guy. He liked to fight on the inside. So, again, questionable choices that cost him early on in his career. That would be something that he would kind of struggle with. Because he wasn't taking the easy points that, you know, that maybe could have won him close rounds in hindsight if he maybe developed more and fight, fought long a little more. You know, because that coupled with his love to fight inside, God bless it, and make easy entertaining fights, you know, probably could have won him some close rounds. Ne- neither here nor there. Um, we've seen the improvements through him, you know. Uh, when guys are real close and they're moving away, we'll see him in a big combination now adapting the range better. You know following him out, you know, going from those short hooks and short elbows and knees that he loves, and then when the guy goes to run on him mid combination, he's turning his shoulders out, extending his strikes, following them with appropriate techniques. I really appreciate that from Anthony Smith. I really do feel that Hector Lombard's downtrend is real, and um, you have a, just a downtrend in a name and a guy who I feel is not a big name. You know, maybe he won't be world champion. I don't know that. I'm not saying that he's going to be... I hope he does, by the way. (laughs) That'd be fucking awesome. I'm rooting for Anthony Smith. He's the dark horse, baby. You all know I defend him. What I'm saying is, I'm not trying to overly embellish Anthony Smith here. I'm not not fucking, you know, anything like that. Um, Regardless if he's listening to this, honestly. Uh, Again, I picked against him before. It's no problem. I have no problem admitting that. What I am saying is that he's he's underrated, and in this spot, I like it. Even if... um, The public catches win and kind of goes back and looks at tape and not saying Hector Lombard can't win obviously just saying even if you know public you know catches win and moves Anthony Smith Smith to more of a favorite I'd still play him Um, so I played him inside the distance plus 155 half a unit and then I played him straight up uh, minus 110 one unit Um, also put a fun flyer. Uh, round two plus five hundred. All right, next Mike Perry versus Tiago Alves. Tiago Alves would have been a dog play around plus one ten. Fortunately, that is refunded because Hurricane Irma or whatever the thing is. I don't know. Mike Perry is calling bullshit. But anyways, let's just skip all that. Mike Perry's crazy. Kind of reminds me of that character from a. Uh, I think I tweeted uh, uh, that just earlier this week. Was it uh, True Romance? Gary Oldman's character Drexel. <laughs> I'm pretty. That guy with the the grill and stuff like that is Mike Perry. But he faces this guy, um, Alex Reyes. I'm a big fan of his brother, Dominic Reyes. Breath of fresh air, I feel, in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Alex Reyes has the athleticism and well-roundedness, but on a smaller level, both in stature and possibly skill, it's hard to say. We haven't seen him in two years. He's recently fought. Unfortunately, you really can't get footage, and unfortunately, I do know some a bit about that fight because... Fought my good buddy Gil Gardado, strength and conditioning coach Extreme Couture, who was uh, undefeated up to that point. So I I can say, Gil is a legit as fuck fighter. Both standing on the feet, wrestling submissions, Gil can do it all. Gil's gonna do some really good shit. So for what that wor- for what that's worth, Alex did not beat no slouch. However, whether it was a slouch or whether it was a talented fighter, which Gil is, you know. It, the fight came early before before it could really get going, which means not making an excuse for my boy or whoever um, Alex were to have beat that night. But I'm talking about Alex himself. What what did we learn, right? right? It's that, that whole thing, uh, uh, the knockout puncher that gets the knockout in the first round. What do you knocked out out in the first round, bro? He's so powerful. I'm not saying he's not powerful. I'm saying we don't know what the fuck happens after the first round. Um, obviously, not saying that exact same comparison here because Alex Reyes has gone four, five rounds in fact found finishes late but what I'm saying as far as sample size in the relevant last two years we don't know we don't know but what we do know is he usually fights at 155 he doesn't appear to be that physical force from wrestling to knockout power to physical, excuse me, to physical stature um, although his athleticism is there but Aside from that, there aren't a lot of attributes where it's going to make me think, like, oh, Perry's got to watch out for this. We really don't know. Um, His best chance is probably, you know, he looks like he really hustles in the scramble. And perhaps he gets something going there. But Perry's hard to take down. He's underrated. Take down defense, hips, balance. He floats positions well. And and only shows to be improving. uh, Moving up even in his gi game, apparently, according to his social media. So, pick his Perry. Um... Might play it inside. Let's see what that line is. His lines only kind of recently came up, I think. You should know this, Dan. Yeah, but I'm bad. Mm, Mega Negatron. No props up for me. yet. I, I see. Nope. Anyways, but yeah, pick is Perry. All right, main event. Luke Rockhold versus David Branch. Luke Rockhold coming in minus 550 now. All oh, the way up there. Wow, Jesus. Plus 425, David Branch. Um, Not as sure shot as I thought. Luke Rockle would not make the recommended parlay pieces, put it that way. Not necessarily a fight to avoid. He should win. He should be the favorite, but Branch is a bit underrated. I go into real in-depth detail. Um, Go read my summary on MMAJunkie.com on that one. Uh, I'm just going to give you kind of the more shorter notes here. But essentially, the shot to look out for from Branch is the left hook. Not just for obvious reasons because of the Michael Bisping fight, but it's because of why. And I was actually reading my breakdown. I picked Rockle, I'm not trying to do revisionist history, believe me. But I remember the narrative being so damn strong. And I was kind of proud of the fact that I picked Bisping to upset Silva. And I wanted to pick him, but I couldn't. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pick Bisping, but I'll I'll dedicate a breakdown to how he can win. And I actually went back and read it. And it actually actually wasn't that bad because, you know, I wrote about how we could. And I reiterated in this breakdown where it's not just the left hook. Um... Landed on, on Bisping, but why? Because Luke Rockold, he loves his check hook. Where he hit, where he check hooks with his right, and he always leans to his left, and it's good because when as a southpaw, this is something I would do. I bait the right hand, and I want to slip just outside, leaning to my left, just outside of the right hand, and that momentum's going to feed them right into the check hook, to where I don't have to put a lot on my check hook, and they're going to come right into it. And as you see throughout his career and even in the beginning of that fight, Rockhold is doing a nice job of slipping just outside of the right hand and throwing his check hook whether he's hitting it or not. The problem is what goes up must come down, right? That That's the rule for everything. So the harder you slip one way, the harder, in theory, you come back. Well, Rockhold slips really hard and he comes back pretty hard. Now... When he came back, the difference was Bisping got that outside foot angle, and had a hook coming over his shoulder, the blind side, right where he couldn't see it. And again, now he usually tries to feed guys into his hook. Because he miss, he is feeding into their hook. we saw that, and the subsequent follows. Bisping land after that, which was awesome. That was such an awesome card. But um, but yeah, uh, and that's one of Branch's best shots. You know. Uh, not a known knockout artist, kind of a guy. No, you know, you will watch back even the WSOF fights. He just at a certain point, early on in the, that W, early on in that WSOF run, he decides to just I'm gonna kind of dance on the outside and uh, and and, and kind of you know flash jabs, hooks, and come in occasionally. And uh, he's talking a good game coming to this one though, Branch. You know. He's, He's got me respecting him. That's for sure. Uh, I respect everybody, and I respect him obviously, regardless. But I'm, I'm talking about the game that he's speaking, and, and and saying that he's gonna come and change it. You know, th- this is what he's been saving himself up for. That's why he fought those fights like that for a reason. Because he comes from a very boxing background. You know, if you really look at Branch's styles, backgrounds, brothers, you know, um, and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of his approach. So if he puts his money where his mouth is, it's true. This is the time where he needs to step up. Um, and, but even if he doesn't, you know, it, it's still weird because, you know, we've seen Branch on his worst nights. He still, he knows how to slow the pace of a fight down, you know, for long stretches of the fight. And he can make this deceptively ugly and deceptively closer. You know, Luke Rockle has been gone. Not just a big, you know, not just, it's been over a year layoff. Switching camps, that's an intangible on its own. That's two intangibles. Let's go three. Knockout loss. Devastating knockout loss. You lost your title, you're embarrassed. I mean, there's three intangibles, strong, proven intangibles working against Luke Rockhold going into this fight. So this is more of a sit-back-and-watch thing. I'll be very happy if David Branch wins, honestly. Uh, regardless of where my money's at. I actually don't have any money on it. Maybe I might throw some on Branch if freaking keeps, you know, odds going up, keep going up like this just to keep it you know, keep it fun and degenerate-like. But no, the, the pick is Rockhold. And I see him getting it done inside the distance because even, again, a bad David Branch, I feel like, will be hard to win a decision again still. I'm not saying Rockhold can't, obviously. He can't. But I see him sparking a finish near the fence um, off of a head kick, especially with, you know, David Branch kind of slipping and kind of you know, rolling out to the side maybe. Maybe he catches him there it's kind of what I'm seeing in my head and with that yeah yeah with that, oh I played Usman by decision minus 171 just because it's just, just really not much else to play there uh, aside from the over um, but yeah, aside from that, uh, that's it for the for the breakdown, I'm going to get out of here um, which again shouts to JBLE, joint baseline Lee Eustis um, Georgian goes for having me just not on the trip but on the show um, it's been a crazy couple weeks. Um, thank you guys for your support. It really means a lot. Uh, I, uh, as far as everybody listening and this and that, like whether you're sharing my breakdowns now that we're and this and that, like I, uh, it's still digesting to be honest. You know, uh, old Dan Tom doesn't feel like he deserves a lot of things, but I'm trying to make the best of it and make these people not regret their decisions. So I'm working hard to improve, even harder than before. Um, it's not bullshit. I am, and uh, so it means a lot. It means a lot to support this time, and just, 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 especially now. Just, just, whether you're supporting the show, following our social medias for MMA Junkie Radio, support my work on MMA Junkie. Of course, this here podcast, which is hosted at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. dot Thank you, by the way, for positive iTunes reviews. What's going on with SoundCloud? By the way, I, I started uploading, then I stopped because I heard it like, got bought out and was going to shut down now i keep getting emails from them again if, if they're here to stay i'll continue to upload episodes there but no excuses on the stitcher i gotta get a stitcher going um thanks for your itunes reviews and stuff uh, five star reviews and positive comments that's where we go strong that's our home base not where we're hosted from but home base where we're hosted from you can go to for the amazon links thank you guys for listing those i, I believe we got some new purchases in the last two weeks but I'll save those for the next podcast since we're running short on time. Thanks to everybody at the trip again. Uh, everybody uh, from Ray Donovan to Carl Cook. Everybody there at the base. Um, Stitch. Vatos Locos forever. Uh, Misha. Uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, good luck on your analysis, brother, uh, for UC Pittsburgh. I know you're going to kill it. Colby Covington. Uh, hopefully you're, you got everything straight for your training brother I know Florida's been crazy for everybody but great cats all of those people were great fantastic quality cats and uh, had some great laughs as well shout out shout out to Brian Butler Sucker Punch Management he was out there uh, my half Chinese brother in arms there fucking I, <laughs> follow that guy that guy's probably the best follow out of all and forget the fighters follow Brian man. A he posts some funny, some funny shit he's, he's a He's a wizard, man. He's good at what he does, and then he's a man of many talents. And yeah, thank you, fuckers. (laughs) All right, well, on that note, let's get out of here. Good luck on your picks and plays for UFC Pittsburgh. If you ever have a chance to take a crazy trip, I suggest you do it. A guy named Silverback ever offers you whiskey, I suggest you take it. And always protect your